Jesus says at the end of the gospel today, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, you know, there are lots of uh, challenging things in the gospel, lots of hard, uh, difficult to believe things in the gospel. I think this is one of the uh, most difficult uh, to accept and to believe because it implies that, one, that it's, it's possible to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, and two, it implies that we should do it. And there are two good reasons or two great incentives to not want to believe this part of the gospel. And uh, the first is that it reminds us how far we have fallen short of what we're capable of. Um, and secondly, it calls to mind how much work it's going to take to get there. And since neither of those are pleasant thoughts, best to avoid the whole thing altogether. That's my strategy in the spiritual life. Just ignore the unpleasant things. They'll go away. No, of course not. So, so to, to take this on, to, to really face this squarely, um, doesn't seem, in one sense, you know, sensible, something so difficult, so hard. I think that brings us to our, our second reading, where, where St. Paul talks about becoming a fool, a fool for Christ. And what does, he, what does he mean by that? Well, the actual, um, the, the Greek word that he uses for fool is moros, same root as moron. So, I mean, you could translate the text as to become a moron for Christ. We don't use the word fool a lot these days, but moron for Christ has a little more punch to it. What does that mean? Well, it's a remarkable phrase, actually, because a fool for, for Jesus. When you consider what fool means in the Old Testament. So that word is used um, uh, frequently to denote, uh, in some sense, the very, the very worst sort of people. Because when we say, oh, so-and-so is a moron, um, what we mean is generally stupid in, in some generic sense of things, you know, don't really get this or that, impractical, whatever. But when the Jews used the word moron or fool, what they meant is stupidity about the, the most important things in life. It's the opposite of wisdom. And so it's not just like, oh, so-and-so is kind of dumb. It means that they are an enemy of the wisdom of God, that their life is directed away from him. And that's why it's this very deeply awful thing to be a fool or a moron in, in the Jewish sense of that word. Because it doesn't mean you're just impractical, it means you're wicked. So when St. Paul says to become a fool for Jesus, I think he's, he's meaning to sort of stir something up in his listeners. And I think what he wants to, to stir up is, or, or call to mind is how different the Christian life is from ordinary human life. So to be a fool for Christ, in Paul's mind, that's true wisdom. That's the, the right way to live. But it looks like stupidity to, to everyone else, to the world. Why? Well, there's an old, an old medieval maxim that uh, concupiscence darkens the intellect. I know I've talked about this before. Concupiscence darkens the intellect. Concupiscence uh, is the, it's an effect of original sin. It's the fact that our... Uh, it, describes the fact that our desire for pleasure is divorced from our reason. So the pleasures of life, we want not 
you know, in the right way at the right time with the right person for the right reason. But we want the pleasures of life simply because they feel good and we want more of them, even to our detriment. So it darkens the intellect. It makes us hard to see the truth of life because our desire for pleasure either warps our perception of reality or makes us want to ignore it altogether. As one Catholic author put it, in more colloquial terms, sin makes you stupid. That's the summary. So in a world of original sin, you have a world sort of gone stupid in the divine sense of things, that our instincts are not towards the good, oftentimes. And so to live to live as God wishes us to is going to look very stupid and sometimes feel very counterintuitive, very wrong. I think it's summed up by a great quote by Cardinal Suhard, who was the uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Paris during World War II. He talked about being a witness. He said, to be a witness does not consist in engaging in propaganda, nor even in stirring people up, but in being a living mystery. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. I've always loved that line. It means to live in such a way that one's life would not make sense if God did not exist. So what is sort of the essence of that perfection that Jesus is calling us towards? To be perfect as God is perfect, which is going to look stupid. And he gives a lot of different examples. He sums it up, you know, you should love your neighbor, or you shall, uh, I said, you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your heavenly Father, for he makes his son to rise on the bad and the good and causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I think I would summarize that as saying, God is love. And God's love is constant and unaffected by everything else. And that's the perfection of God, that he continues to be love and to love regardless of what others do. So he causes his son to rise on the bad and the good. It's not like if you fall into a state of sin, all of a sudden the lights go out and you can't, you can't see anything anymore. No. God still gives us the benefit of sun, of rain, of life. And his love is constant, even to those who hate him. And I think that's, that's the perfection we're called to. And it looks, it can look very silly uh, in some ways. You know, and, and I think the whole Christian life in some ways can look um, sort of silly to try to respond to um, the love of God, to make that the priority. I think my favorite example, you know, fool for Christ in some sense is uh, St. Simon the Stylite, lived in the Middle East about 1700 years ago. And uh, the Stylites were a group of Christians who engaged in this very odd form of penance. Um, it was, it was this sort of this um, radical reliance on God's providence. And so what they would do uh, is they would build a, a platform uh, not too far off the ground, and then they would live on the platform. And they wouldn't leave. So rain or shine, day or night, they wouldn't leave the platform. And they would have to count 
on other people to bring them food to sustain them. They would have to accept and endure whatever weather God sent their way. And the idea was that as you, as you advance in the spiritual life uh, as a stylite, the platform gets smaller and higher. So you go from a, a place where you can walk around in to an area where maybe you can barely lie down. So St. Simon, very, very high up and very small platform. And it's, it's sort of like in one sense kind of, kind of ridiculous, but it only, it's the sort of thing it only makes sense if God really exists and that he's going to spend his days relying on God's mercy, trusting in his providence, um, accepting whatever pain and crosses come his way. So it's an odd way to spend a couple decades. Um, but something that, that brought him closer to that love of God. I think a more sort of modern example of, of how I think sort of foolishness to Christ can be sort of inspiring and can draw the best out of people. One thing that I, I, I sort of found out when um, I became a Dominican and so you, you wear the Dominican habit uh, in public. And it was remarkable the kind of things that people told me when I walked around in my habit and the, the way that they trusted me and how, you know, the things that they were open about. And, and in one sense, it didn't, make any, it didn't make any sense. I was 22 years old. I mean, if you think I look young now, imagine me 13 years ago. I was practically an infant. Um, and people are just sort of opening their hearts and pouring out their deepest, darkest secrets. It just it didn't make any sense. But except for the fact that in wearing, you know, the 800-year-old white dress, it tells people something, that this is someone who, who believes, who believes enough to to wear something that ridiculous. And so I can talk to him about the ridiculous things going on in my own life and the ways that I think God is talking to me. And so it really kind of opened my eyes at, at sort of the wisdom of being a fool for Christ and the power of that. So what does that mean for you? Well, Lent is starting in three days. Um, <laughs> and... And I think I would challenge you this Lent to do something great for Jesus. And maybe not necessarily what you want, but, but to pray about what does he want you to do that would be a great sacrifice for him. I remember reading an article by one priest. He was talking about this kid he knew. I think it was himself, but he was being modest. Little kid, Catholic school, Ash Wednesday Mass. Father gives rousing homily about doing something great for Jesus. So kid goes home and tells mom, I'm going to spend Lent in a tent. And mother was furious with the priest. So she calls him over to talk sense into her son. So priest talks to kid, priest talks to mom, and works out a deal where junior comes into the house for dinner and to bathe regularly, um, but gets to spend the rest of Lent in a tent. And so he lived in his backyard for 40 days. And... A beautiful, a beautiful sort of expression of that kind of childlike freedom and simplicity in responding to God's call. You know, some some here are foolish enough to do Exodus 90, you know, and uh, to to take that on. And you know, I think that's one sort of foolish thing. I mean, cold showers, lots of fasting, all that sort of thing. Um, 
it's a difficult thing. But the real question is, what is Jesus asking, asking you? So before we think about that, I just want to reiterate this Mother Teresa quote that I've used before and I never tire of. Young man, says Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, what's it like to be a saint? She says, I'm glad you can see Christ in me, young man, because I can see Christ in you. But holiness is not for some of us, it's for all of us. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask Jesus in your heart, Lord, what is it that you want me to give you for Lent? Lent.